Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Rene Descartes, Meditations on First Philosophy. Meditation number two. Of the nature of the human mind, and that it is more easily known than the body. Part two. But what, then, am I? A thinking thing, it has been said. But what is a thinking thing? It is a thing that doubts, understands, conceives, affirms, denies, wills, refuses, that imagines also, and perceives. Assuredly, it is not little if all these properties belong to my nature. But why should they not belong to it? Am I not that very being who now doubts of almost everything? Who, for all that, understands and conceives certain things? Who affirms one alone as true and denies the others? Who desires to know more of them and does not wish to be deceived? Who imagines many things, sometimes even despite his will, and is likewise percipient of many, as if through the medium of the senses. Is there nothing of all this as true as that I am, even although I should be always dreaming, and although he who gave me being employed all his ingenuity to deceive me? Is there also any one of these attributes that can be properly distinguished from my thought, or that can be said to be separate from myself. For it is of itself so evident that it is I who doubt, I who understand, and I who desire, that it is here unnecessary to add anything by way of rendering it more clear. And I am as certainly the same being who imagines. For although it may be, as I before supposed, that nothing I imagine is true. Still, the power of imagination does not cease really to exist in me and to form part of my thought. In fine, I am the same being who perceives, that is, who apprehends certain objects as by the organs of sense, since... In truth, I see light, hear a noise, and feel heat. But it will be said that these presentations are false and that I am dreaming. Let it be so. At all events, it is certain that I seem to see light, hear a noise, and feel heat. This cannot be false. And this is what in me is properly called perceiving which is nothing else than thinking. From this, I begin to know what I am with somewhat greater clearness and distinctness than heretofore. But nevertheless, it still seems to me, and I cannot help believing, that corporeal things, whose images are formed by thought, which fall under the senses, and are examined by the same, are known with much greater distinctness than that I know not what part of myself which is not imaginable, 
although in truth. It may seem strange to say that I know and comprehend with greater distinctness things whose existence appears to me doubtful, that are unknown and do not belong to me, than others of whose reality I am persuaded, that are known to me, and appertain to my proper nature, in a word, than myself. But I see clearly what is the state of the case. My mind is apt to wander, and will not yet submit to be restrained within the limits of truth. Let us therefore leave the mind to itself once more, and, according to it every kind of liberty, permit it to consider the objects that appear to it from without, in order that, having afterward withdrawn it from these, gently and opportunely, and fixed it on the consideration of its being, and the properties it finds in itself, it may then be the more easily controlled. Let us now, accordingly, consider the objects that are commonly thought to be the most easily, and likewise the most distinctly, known, namely, the bodies we touch and see. Not, indeed, bodies in general, for these general notions are usually somewhat more confused, but one body in particular. Take, for example, this piece of wax. It is quite fresh, having been but recently taken from the beehive. It has not yet lost the sweetness of the honey it contained. It still retains somewhat of the odor of the flowers from which it was gathered. Its color, figure, size are apparent to the sight. It is hard, cold, easily handled, and sounds when struck upon with the finger. In fine, all that contributes to make a body as distinctly known as possible is found in the one before us. But, while I am speaking, let it be placed near the fire. What remained of the taste exhales. The smell evaporates. The color changes. Its figure is destroyed. Its size increases. It becomes liquid. It grows hot. It can hardly be handled. And, although struck upon, it emits no sound. Does the same wax still remain after this change? It must be admitted that it does remain. No one doubts it or judges otherwise. What, then, was it I knew with so much distinctness in the piece of wax? Assuredly, it could be nothing of all that I observed by means of the senses, since all the things that fell under taste, smell, sight, touch, and hearing are changed, and yet the same wax remains. It was perhaps what I now think, namely, that this wax was neither the sweetness of honey, the pleasant odor of flowers, the whiteness, the figure, nor the sound, but only a body that a little before appeared to me conspicuous under these forms, and which is now perceived under others. But, to speak precisely, what is it that I imagine when I think of it in this way? Let it be attentively considered, and, retrenching all that does not belong to the wax, let us see what remains. There certainly remains nothing, except 
something extended, flexible, and movable. But what is meant by flexible and movable? Is it not that I imagine that the piece of wax being round is capable of becoming square, or of passing from a square into a triangular figure? Assuredly, such is not the case, because I conceive that it admits of an infinity of similar changes. And I am, moreover, unable to compass this infinity by imagination. And consequently, this conception which I have of the wax is not the product of the faculty of imagination. But what now is this extension? Is it not also greater still when the heat increases? And I should not conceive clearly, and according to truth, the wax as it is, if I did not suppose that the piece we are considering admitted even of a wider variety of extension than I ever imagined. I must, therefore, admit that I cannot even comprehend by imagination what the piece of wax is, and that it is the mind alone which perceives it. I speak of one piece in particular, for as to wax in general, this is still more evident. But what is the piece of wax that can be perceived only by the understanding or mind? It is certainly the same which I see, touch, imagine, and, in fine, it is the same which, from the beginning, I believed it to be. But, and this it is of moment to observe, the perception of it is neither an act of sight, of touch, nor of imagination, and never was either of these, though it might formerly seem so, but is simply an intuition of the mind, which may be imperfect and confused as it formerly was, or very clear and distinct as it is at present, according as the attention is more or less directed to the elements which it contains, and of which it is composed. But, meanwhile, I feel greatly astonished when I observe the weakness of my mind and its proneness to error. For although, without at all giving expression to what I think, I consider all this in my own mind, words yet occasionally impede my progress, and I am almost led into error by the terms of ordinary language. We say, for example, that we see the same wax when it is before us, and not that we judge it to be the same from its retaining the same color and figure. Whence I should forthwith be disposed to conclude that the wax is known by the act of sight, and not by the intuition of the mind alone, were it not for the analogous instance of human beings passing on in the street below, as observed from a window. In this case... I do not fail to say that I see the men themselves, just as I say that I see the wax. And yet what do I see from the window beyond hats and cloaks that might cover artificial machines, whose motions might be determined by springs? But I judge there are human beings from these appearances, and thus I comprehend, by the faculty of judgment alone, which is in the mind, what I believed I saw with my eyes." The man who makes it his aim to rise to knowledge superior to the common ought to be ashamed to seek occasion of doubting from the vulgar forms of speech. Instead, therefore, of doing this, 
I shall proceed with the matter in hand, and inquire whether I had a clearer and more perfect perception of the piece of wax when I first saw it, and when I thought I knew it by means of the external sense itself, or, at all events, by the common sense, as it is called, that is, by the imaginative faculty, or whether I rather apprehend it more clearly at present, after having examined with greater care both what it is and in what way it can be known. It would certainly be ridiculous to entertain any doubt on this point. For what, in that first perception, was there distinct? What did I perceive which any animal might not have perceived? But when I distinguished the wax from its exterior forms, and when, as if I had stripped it of its vestments, I consider it quite naked, it is certain, although some error may still be found in my judgment, that I cannot, nevertheless, thus apprehend it without possessing a human mind. But finally, what shall I say of the mind itself? That is, of myself. For as yet I do not admit that I am anything but mind. What then? I, who seem to possess so distinct an apprehension of the piece of wax, do I not know myself, both with greater truth and certitude, and also much more distinctly and clearly? For if I judge that the wax exists because I see it, it assuredly follows, much more evidently, that I myself am or exist, for the same reason. For it is possible that what I see may not in truth be wax, and that I do not even possess eyes with which to see anything. But it cannot be that when I see, or, which comes to the same thing, when I think I see, I myself who think am nothing. So, likewise, if I judge that the wax exists because I touch it, it will still also follow that I am. And if I determine that my imagination, or any other cause, whatever it be, persuades me of the existence of the wax, I will still draw the same conclusion. And what is here remarked of the piece of wax is applicable to all the other things that are external to me. And further, if the notion or perception of wax appeared to me more precise and distinct, after that not only sight and touch, but many other causes besides, rendered it manifest to my apprehension, with how much greater distinctness must I now know myself, since all the reasons that contribute to the knowledge of the nature of wax, or of any body whatever, manifest still better the nature of my mind. And there are besides so many other things in the mind itself that contribute to the illustration of its nature that those dependent on the body, to which I have here referred, scarcely merit to be taken into account. But, in conclusion, I find I have insensibly reverted to the point I desired. For, since it is now manifest to me that bodies themselves are not properly perceived by the senses, nor by the faculty of imagination, but by the intellect alone, and since they are not perceived because they are seen and touched, but only because they are understood or rightly comprehended by thought, I readily discover that there is nothing more easily or clearly apprehended 
than my own mind. But because it is difficult to rid oneself so promptly of an opinion to which one has long been accustomed, it will be desirable to tarry for some time at this stage, that, by long-continued meditation, I may more deeply impress upon my memory this new knowledge. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>